You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is uh, no doubt a strange season of our lives. Each week we say that, and yet it seems like each week we wake up and it's the same story on repeat. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie Groundhog Day, but it's like we wake up every day and it's still Groundhog Day uh, and things have not changed. Last week, of course, was Easter. And I think that uh, if you were like me, I think that we all were kind of hoping to wake up last week and uh Come and celebrate Easter and then for everything on Monday to look totally different for us to wake up and things to be uh, changed and back to normal and everybody about their normal everyday lives. I don't don't know about you, but just as a church, as a pastor, I I was just kind of hoping that that would be an end, a, a great end to this pandemic and that we would be able to meet together again. And yet things didn't change. We woke up and things were all the same. And so I shared this passage with you at the beginning of the week, uh, the beginning of this week on Monday during our prayer time at noon, and uh, this passage from Acts chapter 1, and and we're going to work our way through this entire book, I think, together uh, as the Lord gives us opportunity in the days ahead. And I think it's because, as the Lord would lead, that, that we have some things to learn from the early church who woke up and things were very different for them. Uh, whenever Jesus, having been with them for three and a half years, was no longer there. And they had to figure out what life now looked like. Sometimes you wake up and things are still the same when you expect change. And we are pressed to ask this question. What now? When we expected everything to be different and to change and they didn't change, what do we do now? I want to just go on record saying to you that as a church and as we think about our lives, the economy, the the world around us, I think that it's probably safe to say that things will not ultimately ever go back to the way that they were. There are some things in our lives that have changed for good. We've seen life in a totally different way. And, and now there are things in our life that are never going to be the same. And for the disciples, I, I think that the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, it was certainly a moment for them to have a, a gut check and say, you know, guys, things aren't the same as they were. And we've got to enter into a new phase of our lives. And so what in the world do we do? Maybe even more importantly, what do we do in this world around us? Brett McCracken, who is a writer for the Gospel Coalition, posted a post this week. The article was entitled, Coronavirus Could Kill Consumer Christianity. 
And he wrote these words. Coronavirus has rapidly taken away the excesses of the church. He goes on to say what remains are bare essentials. Jesus, the word, community, prayer and singing. What remains is the reality that the church can never be vanquished. We are Christ's body and will live eternally with him. Things are suddenly Spartan in how we do church, but what we are remains as vibrant as ever. And I would just further comment on that statement that perhaps we're entering a day where we will become more vibrant than we have ever been before. He quoted a Twitter Uh, Twitter statement or Twitter post that said this, what if God in his strange providence is downshifting the American church into a mode of simplicity, stripped of non-essentials, renewed in its fundamental identity as the people of God? And he comments, among other things, this downshifting will rid many people, including many pastors of the notion that church must be comfortable and consumer friendly in the crowded marketplace of entertainment options. In the COVID-19 quarantine, the clunky, unpolished computer church experience will decidedly not be the easiest or most comfortable option for how people spend their Sundays. It will be a countercultural choice, and that's a good thing. Now, let me go on record to say two things to you. And that is, number one, that the mission of the church has not changed. The mission of the church is exactly the same as it was before the COVID-19 outbreak. However, the mission field of the church has dramatically changed. We will never change the mission and we must never change the fact that we gather together. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly. We gather for the purpose of worship and mission. But the context in which we live, the mission field itself has changed overnight and it may never be the same. And I think that it is time that we go back to the early church and we learn from them what it looks like to refigure out how to be the church in the context in which we live. And so Acts chapter one, if you found your place, I want to invite you as a family. Would you gather in close around God's word and read it together? Gather your children in close, maybe on your knee, dads, or maybe under your arms, moms and gather in close and let's hear the word of the Lord together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord, we pray that you would come now and that you would bless the preaching of your word. God, may you speak to us by your spirit. I I pray that where our eyes are blinded and our hearts are calloused, that you would soften us and that you would cause us to see and behold wonderful things from your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and that he would take what is perhaps a familiar passage to us and that he would cause us to see with new eyes so that we might see our role in our current context as your people and that we would know with with great clarity and with great passion the mission that you have placed upon our lives and that you have burned upon our hearts. Lord, we also pray that if there is someone listening today, joining us by live stream, who's never professed faith as in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, they've never turned from their sin, they've never believed the good news that you died for them and rose again and been saved, I pray that this very day would be the day of salvation And that today they would cry out to you as a sinner before a holy God and plead for mercy. And that you, by your grace, would save their soul. So we pray now that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. I I trust that that is a familiar passage to many of you. And yet, many times familiarity leads us to miss some of the details and forget some of the things that we have seen there before. And so this is a book, a second in a sequel. It's written by Luke as Luke writes uh, his gospel. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke is the author of that gospel, and he wrote it to Theophilus. And this second book, the book of Acts, he writes again to Theophilus. And so we find that there in the first verse. In the first book, O Theophilus, is describing his gospel, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's already dealt with those things. And now in the second book, he says, until the day when he was taken up, 
after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he chosen. And he begins to describe what Jesus did. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And following that 40 days, the church would begin its marching orders, would begin taking that gospel, the teachings of Jesus, the good news of the death and burial and resurrection and return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would preach that news from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. This was their mission. And so Luke writes to recount the days of the early church. And so just as a matter of, of maybe maybe review, if you're just joining us and by way of proclamation to you, the things that Luke said to Theophilus in the first book should precede our study of this book. Friend, if you've never read about the life of Jesus, you don't know about the sinless life that he led. You don't know about his virgin birth there in a manger. Maybe you've you've never heard about this one who said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to set the, the captive free and to proclaim sight to the blind. Maybe you've never heard about the one who went to a, a criminal's cross, a Roman cross and gave his life. Not dying for something that he deserved, but ultimately dying for the sins of the world. If you've not heard about the one that was there in the ground for three days, dead for the sins of mankind, and then alive three days later because God raised him from the dead, because it was not possible that he, be, he would be held by that, that grave. It's not possible that he would be conquered by his enemies. It's not possible that sin would ultimately win, but Jesus Christ would rise victorious. If you've not heard about this Jesus, we plead with you today. We urge you today that you would trust Jesus Christ by faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ in the gospel and today he will save you. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Presumably, Theophilus is one of these men, one of these people who've trusted in Christ. And now Luke, by his giving this evangelistic appeal to Theophilus, come and trust in Christ. He's now saying to Theophilus, listen to what Jesus continued to do through his church. And he begins by defending the resurrection. Verses two and three, all of these witnesses of Christ. There is no ultimately questioning the resurrection it is a fact of history. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is alive. And if he is alive, we must hear everything he has to command us and call us to as his people. And not only did he prove it by rising from the dead and appearing to all of these people, he continued to work through his church. A movement, listen to me carefully, that is greater than any pandemic. A movement that is greater than any political regime. A movement that is greater than any economic prosperity. It is a movement of God's Spirit that began in that upper room and moved outwardly to the very ends of the earth and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saved. Following Jesus, it is inarguable that Jesus changed 
the world. And that he is continuing to change the world through his church. And so Luke, in his first book, shows Jesus with his heart set upon the cross. Luke, in his second book in Acts, shows the church with their heart set upon Jesus to the nations. Luke, in his first gospel, doesn't include this great commission. But in his second book, he writes, including this commission to the church. We might rightly call the book of Acts the acts of Jesus as he lived out his mission through the apostles and through the early church. But if you're reading Acts, there is essentially one verse that sets the theme for the entire rest of the book. It is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. When Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You follow the book of Acts, you'll see that this actually this this one verse becomes the tone setter for the entire book. It actually builds the outline. As we see the the, the gospel moving from there in in Jerusalem out to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. As the gospel is going forth, this is the very outline of what happens in the book of Acts. And what was said to them, you shall be my witnesses, became a present tense reality for them. You are my witnesses, early church. And the same thing that was said to them is the same thing that is said to us. The tense change applies to us. If you are listening to this live stream, gathered wherever you are, and you are a follower of Jesus, hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. You are the witness of Christ. Your life as a follower of Jesus is giving witness to Christ every single day day. The word witness in the New Testament is an interesting word. It is the word martus or martyr is where we get the word martyr in the English. Someone who who sees an event take place. They're so convinced of that event. They want to give testimony to that event or to that truth or to that reality. They have direct personal knowledge of what's taking place. And generally what would happen to these martyrs is that they were so convinced of it that they would dig their heels in when placed up against any resistance. And ultimately that would lead many of them, especially in the early church, as they faced opposition of Rome, as they faced opposition of the Jews around them, opposition of a of an ungodly world. It would lead many of them to lay down their lives in defense of the gospel. And this is where we get the word martyr. There is a sense of passion invoked in the term witness. Such passion, in fact, that they're unwilling to budge in any way from the truth of God's word. And in their unwillingness to budge, it meant that they would often give their lives. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, is credited by some, really by most, for making the statement, the blood of the martyrs 
or the blood of the witnesses, you could say, was the seed of the church. One commentator wrote about these words of Tertullian, the famous observation of Tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church has a depth of insight which is all too often lost on believers today. We have no trouble thinking of persecution and martyrdom as a great obstacle to the spread of the gospel, which will not, however, be successful in hindering church growth. Now, listen to this carefully. Think think government resistance, cultural resistance. Think think a godless culture who would rise up against the church and they would persecute the church. We we see this as an obstacle, he says. He goes on. We would have no problem affirming that the blood of the martyrs is a hurdle which, by God's grace, can be overcome. But to say that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church is an altogether different concept. If martyrdom is a surmountable obstacle to the growth of the church, then the church might advance just as well or even better without it. The church does not need it to grow. Without martyrdom, the church would never have taken root, though, in the world of Tertullian. Without martyrdom, the church would not have spread to the Aka Indians in South America or China or Burma or the islands of the South Sea. His argument is that not only is martyrdom uh, a, a help to the church in spreading. It's absolutely necessary for the church in spreading the gospel. That's what he says. The blood of the martyrs is a necessary means for the worldwide application of Christ's great redemptive accomplishment. And this is the full, for, full force of Tertullian's insight. This is who Jesus says that we are. We are his witnesses. The mood of the statement is incredibly important. Notice he doesn't command us to be his witnesses. It's, never, it's not here. It's not commanded in this passage. Now, it is, of course, in other passages commanded. Go and make disciples. But in this passage, it's not commanded. It's not in the imperative. It's in the indicative. What he's saying is you are. He, he's making a statement of fact. It's not structured as a command, though the command may be implied. He's stating a reality. He says that every follower of Jesus is going to be. You are my witness. In fact, it's the same kind of structure. We've seen this before. If you go back in your Bibles to Luke's gospel, to the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, I've got this written down, so I'm just going to quote it for you for the sake of time. Luke makes the same kind of a statement in verse 45. This is Luke 24, verse 45 and following. It says of Jesus, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. That's the gospel, the good news, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Praise God. How is that going to happen? Beginning from Jerusalem. Here it is. Verse 48. 
You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you, sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Same statement. You are witnesses. It's not some hypothetical future possibility. It's not just even an expectation of the church that we should do this and we should make no mistake about that. Rather, the design and the intent of God in in bringing people to new life. Whenever we become born again, followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, our lives all of a sudden by design have the banner Christ over our lives and who we are and what we do and what we say bears witness to the risen Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that the death of Christ as we live it out in our lives, becomes a reality for us in the sense that we actually die for our faith. That martyrdom is actually the end of the life of all Christians. I'm not suggesting that. That doesn't happen. There are many people across our world. It's true of many in church history. We could, we could run down lists of martyrs in church history. Or we might look at the world around us. There are people even in our modern context who have given their lives. There are people right now who are following Jesus at the risk and the very cost of their life. Not suggesting that that is who we are necessarily, although it could be. So what am I suggesting? Well, let me read on to you from this article posted by the Gospel Coalition. I think that it's helpful. Church is not about consumers being served. It's about Christians serving one another and sacrificially building up the body even when it is costly, inconvenient, and uncomfortable. He goes on, Believers must resist the allure of comfortable, Consumer Christianity and instead, listen to this, commit to a faith that is costly, inconvenient and uncomfortable. Discomfort is painful to be sure, but it is a clarifying gift. The truth is following Jesus was never meant to be easy. Discipleship was never meant to be consumer friendly. Church was never meant to be comfortable. And what he says is that the COVID-19 epidemic is forcing us to remember this truth. It's shaking us swiftly out of our complacency and consumer-driven addition to comfort and driving us to to cling to the God of Jacob who is our fortress. You see, we are... At all costs, comfort in the face of all danger, in the face of every threat, even the threat of our lives, we are witnesses of Christ. So the question is before us, what now? 
If that's true in our lives. What now? This is the part I think that we often look over in the passage. What does it really look like to be a witness for Christ? How are we actually going to do that? Like, what is the list? What are the practical steps to being a witness for Christ? Maybe not even the whole list. Jesus, what is the first step? Like, what do you want us to do first? Give me some action steps here. And you'll notice if you read the passage carefully, the only action step that Jesus gives is actually an inaction step. (laughs) Jesus doesn't give a list of practical steps. He says, go and wait on the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us, look at verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The angel had to ask them, why are you still standing there? There was a moment, a wake up moment where everything didn't change. Where Messiah, King Jesus, who'd come to sit on the throne to set up his kingdom, nothing changed in their lives except for the reality that Jesus was no longer with them and they had to now do ministry by themselves. Everything looked different for them, but nothing had changed. What now? They're sitting here in this moment. And Jesus had already told them in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you now... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's it's not for you to know the times or seasons. He he purposely did not give them the whole plan. We're going to watch this as we walk through Acts. The struggling, the wrestling with this start to their ministry. We, We want an action plan. We want steps. We want something we can go and do. But his instruction to them is that they should go and wait and pray. It's there right there in verse 5. Verse 4 and verse 5. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He told them to go and wait. And they were dumbfounded. The humanity of this moment. Of course, the plot of Acts moves on very quickly. And Luke's intent is to show us how quickly the gospel spread from there and outward. But let's just pause in this moment. Because for the experience of these men, it was completely overwhelming, I can imagine. So what now? I think that we are in this same kind of a moment. I'm going to make a statement to you. This this quiet, missional disruption in their life is meant for them and for us, this disruption in our life as we think about this pandemic, is meant for us to wrestle with the new reality of being a witness to the one whom we have become intimately familiar with in a world that we are becoming increasingly less familiar with. 
in this moment of, of pause, of disruption, we are striving and we have to learn how in the world we're living in to be a witness, to proclaim the glory and the good news of Christ about a Jesus that we keep becoming more and more and more familiar with. But in a world that becomes so much more foreign the longer that we live. When we begin to meet together again in, in phases and come together as a church and do life together again, and ministry together again, it's going to be a beautiful thing, I believe. I, I can't wait for that. Uh, I, I can't wait to see you guys again. I'm so excited about that. Somebody posted recently a meme with Chris Farley in it. Uh, I don't know if you can use him in a sermon, but I'm going to Chris Farley running in right and hugging everybody's neck and excited to see everybody this action packed room. And I think that's going to be me as a pastor. I'm looking forward to the day that we gather again. But when we come together again, the question is going to be now what? It's going to be beautiful because we can enjoy community. And, and I think that's something we've taken for granted, honestly. But what do we do now? Our mission doesn't change. Worship, grow, connect, multiply. None of those things change. I don't see a shift from Luke chapter 1 to Acts chapter 1 in the mission that they were given. But the context absolutely changed. And certainly our context has changed. The world that we're living in is not the same world that it was 30 years ago. The world that we're living in today is not the same world that it was three weeks ago. You know, it's an interesting thing that when all of this took place in the church, that how quickly we were willing to change and adapt to the differences in our world. Why? Because we saw the gospel as more important than anything else. And we were willing to do whatever it took so that the world could 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 continue to hear the gospel so that the church could continue to gather for worship. But what we've discovered is that all of the peripheral things that we thought mattered so much don't matter so much. And that worship and prayer and singing and studying God's word and being a witness to the nations is really, really, really what matters. And when we come together again, we are going to have to wrestle together with what the new normal is. Because America is not going back to normal. I believe that the words of Jesus to these confused hearts have never been more powerful in this last generation than they are today. Those words to go and wait on the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be what we must do as God's people. We must go and wait on the Holy Spirit and ask Him to give us wisdom and how to continue to reach a world that is lost and going to hell and in need of Jesus. Like this should break us. And we should be willing to do whatever it takes to take this gospel to a lost and dying world. And it's going to look different than it did in the previous generation. We don't know the details of that right now. We don't know the details of that question. None of us knows really what the world looks like, but we must be willing to wait on the Holy Spirit and ready to do whatever he leads us to do and continue to carry out the same mission and do it in new ways in a new context in the world around us. We must be willing. There's value in admitting that we don't know our context anymore. There's value in admitting that we are just simply waiting on God. But even in our waiting, 
It's not an admission of of doubt. It's not an admission of of a lack of clarity as far as what God has actually called us to do. And it's not to say that we're not equipped for the task. There are at least three things that Paul or that, that Luke tells us by recounting this narrative. There are at least three things that he that he shows us that equip us for the work of this ministry. And they're not specific. They're not action steps, but rather they're really actually what God has done in us. So here they are real quickly. We have the power of Christ. We have the power of Christ. Notice verse eight. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power. Whatever God has called you to do in sharing his gospel and being a witness in whatever context you find yourself in, no matter how resistant, no matter how different, no matter how foreign you have the power of the living God by his Holy Spirit within you to go and share that message. And for that message to go forth in power that people quickened by the Holy Spirit might believe the gospel that you proclaim. That's the reality. Praise God for that, that nothing we've been called to do depends ultimately upon us, but it rests entirely upon the spirit of the living God. Second thing that we see, we portray the person of Christ. We portray the person of Christ. He says, you have been called, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not a witness. Don't miss this. You're not even witnesses for your church. You're not witnesses to a political ideology. You're not witnesses to any programs that you may put together. You are witnesses to a person. Watch this. Whenever you go and you live the Christian faith, you are carrying about the body of the dying Lord Jesus. (laughs) People see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. People see in a sinner who has died to their sin and who now lives to Christ. They see the person of Jesus. And as you live and as you proclaim that gospel, you're giving witness to a person. I I think sometimes we forget that. Christianity is not an organization. Christianity is not even a church. The church is not Christianity. Christianity is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God himself has a son and that son has a church. And that church has the mission that God has given them to proclaim the son to the world. That's the way God has set up his kingdom. And so you and I are witnesses of a person. We portray the person of Christ. The third thing that we see, you advance the gospel of Christ. We see it there, of course, you can extrapolate from this an outline for the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The gospel begins like, I don't know if you've seen an atomic bomb go off. Hopefully not in person. If you are, you're probably not listening to this to this live stream. But 
If you've seen it on on TV or on some some sort of a video, how the mushroom cloud goes up and it begins right there at the center and it rises in power and spreads everywhere so that there is no place that it does not touch. This is what the gospel does. As you proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it rises from the very center of where it is for us. That's the corner of Coy Burgess Loop and Millard Ganey. Right here. And as it rises up, it goes forth. Here's an amazing thing. The gospel reverse. The church being scattered out into the community by COVID-19 was not a bad thing. It was actually exactly what God intended to do through it. That we would take the gospel with us. Never before has the church been pushed outside of its walls like it has in the past six to eight weeks. Never before. And by God's grace, we will continue to live that way as we come back together again. You advance the gospel of Christ. So back to our question. What now? Those are things that God has done. He's he's made you a witness to the person of Christ. He has given you the gospel to preach. He's equipped you with his great power, his everlasting power. So what is it now that we do? I want to just suggest this one thing to you that you do over the coming days. Simply because we find ourselves in a similar position as these disciples. I want to suggest that you live prayerfully. You ought to write this down. Maybe in the margin of your Bible or something near you. Maybe punching in the notes on your phone. Live prayerfully and purposely to proclaim the salvation of Jesus to others. And multiply the life of Jesus in others each day. And to the ends of the earth. Let me say that to you again. Because this is what will guide us in the days ahead. This is what will guide us in this book. And this is what will ultimately guide us to living out our mission and purpose in our new context. Live prayerfully and purposely to proclaim the salvation of Jesus to others. And to multiply the life of Jesus in others each day and to the ends of the earth. We want to begin by doing that right now, this very day. If you are here on our live stream this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you today. We want to, we want to plead with you that you would recognize who you are before God. The Bible teaches that we have a holy God who is creator of all things, that he made the world and everything in it, that you might know him, that you might see his glory and all of creation. You, me, every person on the planet who has ever lived has rebelled against this God and become sinners. And because of our sin, we have been condemned to die. Death awaits us, not just physical death, although death came into the world through our sin, but ultimately a spiritual death 
forever tormented in a place called hell to experience darkness and separation from God. And we don't want you to be there. We want you to be saved from the wrath that is to come. We want you to know Jesus. And the only hope you have of salvation today is that you would trust Jesus by faith. The only way that you can be saved is that you would turn from your sin that condemns you and that you would turn to a holy God and cry out for mercy. And the Bible teaches that Jesus did what was required, that your sins might be forgiven. Jesus went and died in your place. He is your substitute. And he was raised to life three days later. And the Bible teaches that through Jesus' blood and his blood alone, there is forgiveness of sins. There is restoration to God. And there is eternal life. The Bible teaches us that we, we cry out to a holy God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, I, I trust you today with my life. I believe in your cross. I believe that it's sufficient for me that you, that you made a way to forgive my sin by your blood. And today, if I cry out to you, that you'll forgive me. And Jesus, that, that you are alive today. And I, I want to give you my life. I, I submit Surrender my life to you as my Lord and my Savior. I give up everything. I want to die to self today and live for you, Christ. Will you save me? The Bible teaches if you cry out to a holy God similar to that, not with those words necessarily, but believing those truths, that God will save you. Listen, if that's your prayer today, we want to invite you in the comments below. There is a a link that says mydecision.southwidebaptist.com mydecision.southwidebaptist.com today if you'd love to surrender your life to Jesus maybe that's the decision of your heart maybe there's other decision that you that you're praying about asking God to give you clarity and direction on maybe you've never been baptized and and you want to know more about what that means or maybe you didn't make a decision for Jesus today but but you want to have more of a conversation and and talk about what that means in your life we want to encourage you to go to that link, mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. And if you'll go to that link and fill out that form, then your information will come directly to me, to us and as a staff, and we'll be able to reach out to you and to share with you more about the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you because he loves you today and he's willing to save you if you'll cry out to him. Church, Let's be about the business of proclaiming this message. Let's be his witnesses because we are his witnesses from here in the Funiac Springs to the very ends of the earth. Hey, thank you for joining us today for worship. We're glad that you were here. Uh, we're going to have our prayer time here in a few minutes uh, at noon. We'd love to have you join us uh, again on live stream. God bless you. We're glad that you were, here and, uh, you were here and we'll see you again next week as we worship together at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. God bless you. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply 
as you follow Jesus Christ.